0: hey guys just before we get started i wanted to kind of put a swear warning because i realize i do in fact swear a lot and i just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child and also i'd like to say uh sorry mom (laughs) let's get started with the episode Long May She Reign, presented to you by Aiden Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Reign podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, um, has anything interesting happened to anyone in the last few weeks? Hmm, no world news, no, not, yeah, so uh, the queen died wow (laughs) you know you know when you're expecting something to happen for a really really long time and at some point it just gets boring waiting for it so you forget that it's gonna happen eventually and then it does that's how the queen dying felt to me like you know i've you know i've been alive for 20 years and she's you know looked exactly the same my entire life so I guess it's a little less anticlimactic for me because you know she was old when I was born. So I knew she was probably gonna die in my lifetime. Uh unless I had died first, which would have been interesting. Um, but like her being dead is weird, right? Like my country has a king now. Um That's weird. And I'm gonna have to stare at money with Charles's face on it in the next couple of years. Never saw that coming. Now, I've kind of uh, stayed off voicing my opinion about the Queen dying until now, because I don't really think I had my thoughts collected on it, but I'm going to try my best to... Express how i feel about this now i know there are an equal amount of people who are actively mourning the queen's death as you know they have right to there were a lot of people who really did like her and uh, thought she was a good person but there are also an equal amount of people who are you know cheering that she's dead because of the all the horrible things that the british empire before her did and all things she did while she was queen especially during the decolonization era and you know her having been born in the 1920s, she's going to have, you know, very different views than your more modern person might have. And, you know, I've seen both sides of this, you know, argument getting angry at one another because we shouldn't make uh, the oppressed mourn their colonizer, but also I don't think you should really get mad at the people who are actively sad that she died. Um, I don't really know how I feel because, you know, in general, um, you know, she wasn't oppressing me. I'm, a white person uh but i completely understand where the people who are actively celebrating her death are coming from and you know i hope that maybe with her death and we might get farther with preparations for people who were affected by the awfulness of the british empire so like i'm really on the fence with this whole thing but you know um I hope everyone just stays cool. So that's just kind of my opinion on it. Um, Other than that, let's talk about more happy things (laughs) other than, uh, you know, the death of a world leader. Um, Recently, I got to go to a historic site near my school called King's Landing, and it's just basically this like giant living history museum where it's, like, this, like, village from the 1800s on the St. John River. Gosh, wasn't it the coolest thing ever? You guys know I love historic sites. I'm a weirdo. I like to pick up pamphlets and buy stupid shit from gift shops. I genuinely had fun. And I cannot wait to possibly go back for my birthday, because, you know, there's not much to do around here. Me going to a historic site for my birthday is kind of the end-all be-all of fun. Because it's me. (sighs) Okay, yes, enough about me. Um... Today, we are going to be talking about the very cool, the very awesome Heap, also known as Nancy Ward, to uh, English folks. Now, she has been considered one of the first indigenous uh, diplomats in the United States, even though she existed well before the creation of the United States. Um, as a teenager, she uh, fought in battle and earned herself the Cherokee title, Beloved Woman, which is almost a bit like a Medal of Honor in uh you know the uh military is kind of what that title refers to um also before we start the episode i just want to give a big thanks to becky hobbs now becky hobbs is a descendant of nanny and um i discovered her online while i was doing my research for this and uh she was very lovely and she agreed to help me out with some of the research on here so a lot of the um um information in this episode is from her and i just want to give a really big thanks to her thank you so much becky for talking to me and uh if you're listening to this episode i really hope you enjoy my take on your very awesome ancestors so guys let's get into it okay kids so nanny or Nancy Ward was born sometime in 1738 in Chota, which was the capital of the Cherokee Nation located in modern day Tennessee, United States, to possibly a Delaware indigenous man named Five Killer and a Cherokee mother named Tame Doe. Now, since we don't know much about her birthday or actually well, really anything about the day she was born other than possibly the year. Let's talk about her name, Nanihi, because it actually has some fairly interesting origins. And, you know, when's probably the next time I'm going to get to dive into uh, the origins of Cherokee names. Now, her Cherokee name, Nanihi, translates to she who walks among the spirit people. Now, according to oral traditions told by some of her descendants, a white wolf appeared on the horizon the day she was born, which is meant to be a good omen, apparently. And I really think her name kind of fits with her personality because everything I've read about her says that she was a very spiritual person, especially in like all the oral histories told by, um, you know, other Cherokee around her and her family members. And even though she was a very real person, uh, she kind of has almost a legendary status in American history and Cherokee history. So I think her name like totally makes sense to that sort of legendary status that she kind of keeps up for her people. Now, for the most part, we know basically nothing about her parents, most especially her father is a big mystery. Now, there are two primary theories about the identity of her father, but uh, no one is really sure what is the correct theory, so let's go through both of them and, you know, you guys can make your own assumptions. Now, the theory that's proposed by some historians is that her father was an Irish trader who settled in the area of their traditional lands of the Cherokee and married Nanny's mother, Tame Doe, and add uh, that this Irish father was eventually banished for an unknown reason. Now, the second theory, and the one that I'm going to go with, is that her dad was an indig- indigenous na- man named Five Killer, who was from the Delaware tribe, which was on the East Coast, and that he might have migrated to Cherokee lands and married Nanny's mother. Now, other than that, really, information on her father is, uh, scarce. As for her mother, we know a tiny bit more, but even then, it's not really that much. It's like a, it's like a crumb more, you know? Now, we believe that Nanny's mother was an indigenous woman named Tame Doe, and that Tame Doe was a little sister of an important Cherokee chief, whose name I'm probably going to butcher, but I'm going to try, Atakula, Atakula Kula. We're going to go with Atakulakula, who, who will be important later. So uh, keep um, Atakulakula in mind. Now, other than that, uh, we really know nothing else. Really, uh, Taindo's Doe's really big piece of information is that she was probably the little sister of Atakulakula. Um, but one other thing that's important to note about Nanny's mother is that in Cherokee culture, mat- your matrilineal line was a lot more important. So like the the line of your mother was much more important than your father. So Nanihi being uh, the niece of an important Cherokee warrior via her mother's blood was a huge deal for her status in the community. It was like being the niece of a, a king in a lot of ways. Now Speaking of things we also know nothing about, we know nothing about her childhood, so I did a bit of research into the traditional lives of uh, Cherokee people around that time, so you might have a better idea of what she would have learned as a child and what her upbringing might have been like. Now, we think that she learned the Cherokee language and English from her mother. And as a Cherokee girl, she would have spent most of her time with her mother learning how to tend to the family garden and uh, several community crops. Uh, It was, you know, very important for uh, women to take care of the crops. That was one of their main jobs. Uh, Not to mention, Nanny, he would have been doing chores. Uh, Basket making was really popular among Cherokee people. And it's also likely she would have worn this, like, really beautiful uh, hand-woven wrap skirt to do her uh, chores. And she would have grown up eating dishes like cornbread and soups and stews cooked on, you know, stone hearths. Actually, you know, I did a little bit of a, a rabbit hole into cornbread. I don't know where I thought cornbread came from. But, like... It was being eaten and was invented by indigenous people for like thousands of years before Europeans got there, which I had no idea about, which is really cool. I love cornbread, cornbread is good. Um, Now as for the place she would have lived, she would have lived in um, a very traditional Cherokee house in a circular style home, made of river cane sticks and plaster. Uh, The Cherokee covered the roofs with thatch and left a small hole in the center to let smoke out. And also, you know, they could heat their homes with a fire, and you know, not smoke themselves out. That's good, right? The Cherokees also built uh, larger, uh, seven-sided buildings for ceremonial purposes. And you know, in general, the Cherokee were actually quite a, um, a an infrastructure tribe. Like they had a lot of buildings; they were quite established, from what I've read. So, you know, that's really cool. Now as for her looks, we have some drawings of her that I've seen, but I'm not sure if any of said drawings were made in her lifetime. We also have a lot of modern artist depictions of what she might have looked like. However, uh, based on what I've seen and you know in general what like the general stereotypes of what you think an Indigenous person tends to look like, uh, she probably had uh, long dark hair, dark eyes, and also in a lot of The uh, artist depictions. Her nose is quite prominent, which, you know, I know is pretty common amongst Indigenous people. They have quite beautiful noses that unfortunately don't fit European beauty standards, which is fucking shit because big noses are gorgeous. So uh, she would have had. Probably a quite prominent, beautiful indigenous nose, uh, which I love because I hate my nose. My nose is like so thin and straight. If any of you guys actually know me in real life, you've probably seen how uh, thin and straight my nose is. I blame that on the uh, Irish genes of mine. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. Now, most of Nanihi's childhood and teens were probably filled with war both between indigenous tribes and during the French and Indian War uh which i i believe americans call the seven years war but here in canada we call it the french and indian war now in the early 1760s the cherokee nation was committed to helping american colonists in the french and indian war in exchange for protection for their families from hostile uh from hostile creeks and uh, choctaws which were their uh, traditional enemies but um Unfortunately, the uh, help they were hoping to receive, I mean, it did help a little bit, but it also brought kind of interference with Cherokee affairs in the form of the uh, American colonists uh, thinking that they could set up frontier posts and military garrisons anywhere they wanted just because they had, you know, done a little handshake deal with the Cherokees. Now, as these things started to be built, um... A whole bunch of white settlers started to follow along with these frontier posts and were just randomly settling on Cherokee land without asking the Cherokee if they could do that. Actually, there was an incident in West Virginia in which some uh, Virginia frontiersmen robbed and killed a group of Cherokees on their way back from uh, helping the British take uh, Fort Donesque? I think it's Fort Donesque, which resulted in. A revenge killing of, like, 20 settlers by some uh, Cherokee Native Americans. Now, this was the beginning of a conflict that would last about two years in which Cherokees, under uh, Chief Okun- Okunostata, sorry, Okunostata, uh managed to defeat British forces and capture Fort Loudoun. Now, following a Truce, an army of Carolina Rangers and um, British light infantry, as well as Royal Scots and Native American troops uh, from other tribes, mostly Creeks and Choctaws, ravaged Cherokee territory, uh, burning crops and towns. Now, war weary and very hungry, the insurgent Cherokees agreed to give up large portions of their eastern lands to white settlers just to get all this shit to stop. And this is the kind of stuff that Nanny, he probably would have been hearing about and growing up around, you know, seeing uh, men of her tribe having to go off and fight these wars while, um, you know, white settlers were encroaching on their lands. However, in positive news, when, well, I guess it's, I mean, it could be positive news for some people. Anyway, in positive news, when she was about 15 years old, she got married to a Cherokee warrior named Kingfisher. And I really wish I could tell you stuff about him, but I literally could not find a single thing about this bitch. So here is what I do know about Kingfisher. Kingfisher was a Cherokee warrior and was a part of the Deer Clan. And he must have been a pretty big deal to be married to the niece of an important chief like Ataculacula. But other than that, pretty much nothing about his background. We just know he was Cherokee, he was a warrior. And my assumption is that he must have been fairly important to, uh... Get a marriage to Nanny Hee. Now, since we don't know much about the groom, I was actually curious about Cherokee wedding traditions uh, because I don't really know much about uh, certain tribes and their indigenous um, wedding ceremonies. So I decided to find out a bit about that and, you know, kind of, uh, I'm guessing this is what Nanny Hee and Kingfisher's wedding probably looked like. Now, one of the centerpieces of a Cherokee wedding would have been the sacred fire. Basically, a large wood pile is prepared in the center. Of a wedding, um, and basically the fire will represent both the creator and uh, the marital union that is about to happen. Um, now they'll have one that is uh, facing south and one to the north, and then a holy eld- elder. I'm sorry, lays the wood for uh, two smaller fires, which represent the individual lives of the bride and groom before their union. Now, uh, this holy elder and um, the assembly that's around the wedding uh, sing sacred songs and recite ancient prayers. As uh, the bride and the groom sprinkle sage, tobacco, corn, and sweet, sweet grass over their respective wood piles, and as they say a prayer, the bride and groom light their respective fires. And as their fires begin to burn brightly, the two gently push their uh, two fires into the much bigger, larger wood pile that's in the middle of the wedding, which, you know, will light up and everyone at this wedding will kind of burst into song in praise to the creator as, you know, these two fires that were once separate now become one with the great creator's fire. However, my favorite tradition that I read about is the vase tradition of Cherokee weddings. Now, this is where at the end of a Cherokee wedding ceremony, a Cherokee bride and groom um, attempt to drink like at the same time out of this like big vase. And if they manage to do it without spilling a drop, they can expect uh, mutual understanding during their marriage, which I really love. That's so cute. it uh i i'd love to do that at a wedding wouldn't that be fun just like trying to drink from a giant vase and like trying not to spill like i don't know like wine or something that's actually kind of cute i think it's a good like bonding activity for uh newlyweds i love it go cherokee weddings they were fucking cool now in nanny he's marriage with kingfisher she had two children with him a boy named five killer probably named after her father if uh um, the second theory about her uh, father is to be believed, and she also had a daughter named Katy, also known as Catherine later in her life. Now, Nanny spent most of her time married taking care of her children, uh, probably putting them on a paddleboard on her back, which is actually a really cool invention by uh, indigenous people. Uh, You guys have probably seen it. It's basically this like paddleboard and you like wrap your baby up in it and you can like carry uh, him or her on your back. It's quite an ingenious invention. So that was probably something she would have been using. Um, she probably would have tended to crops and such, and, you know, just been a good Cherokee wife, just chilling. Uh, but unfortunately she wouldn't be chilling for super long because in 1755, her husband was called to battle and she accompanied him. Now it wasn't uncommon for women to join their husbands in battle, but this battle ended up defining her life probably more than she thought. Now during a battle between the Cherokee and the Creek Nation, um, unfortunately Kingfisher was killed in the heat of battle. And while Nanny Hee was chewing his bullets to make them aerodyna- more aerodynamic, she saw that her husband had been shot down, so she decided to pick up his rifle and lead the troops herself, which ended up leading them to victory and nabbed territory down in northern Georgia for the Cherokees. So, woo, go Nanny Hee. Now for her courage and leadership, Nanny He sorry, Nanny He was um named uh gaigu which uh essentially means well in english she means a uh, beloved woman of the cherokee now the cherokee believed that the beloved woman spoke with the authority of the spirit world and honored them accordingly the nanny he was given a seat next to the war and peace chiefs at the ceremonial fire in the capital of chodo which was a pretty big fucking honor for her now, she also uh, was entitled to lead the Women's Council of Clan Representatives, which was one of the two political bodies that governed the Cherokee Nation. She was the only woman with a vote in the other governing political body, the Cherokee General Council. And she also had absolute power over the fate of prisoners taken in raids and battles. She could choose whether or not they died or not. And all of this is pretty consa- crazy considering she was like no older than 18 years old when this happened i mean fuck what a crazy cool honor to have and she was still a teenager like what the fuck was i doing at 18 i was not leading fucking battles and like being like a politician like how fucking cool is that now after a few years when she was about at uh, 23 she met an irishman named bryant ward and she wanted to marry him but um the thing about bryant ward <laughs> is that he already had a wife and children, which, you know, obviously, uh, would cause problems now because in most places, including Canada, it's illegal to marry more than one person. Polygamy is, like, not a vibe for most Western nations. However, uh, it doesn't seem that the Cherokee people had any laws about bigamy. In fact, they, uh, also believe that marriage, like, wasn't a permanent institution, so you could, like, divorce your husband whenever you wanted, um, And you could take multiple partners if you wanted to. So, uh, despite the fact that, you know, Bryant's, you know, very Western European culture was against bigamy, um, Nanny He's was not. So, (laughs) Nanny He and Bryant Ward got married anyway because they, they were all into each other. Now, I believe one of the other reasons other than the fact that they were kind of in, into each other that they got married was uh, because her uncle wanted to cool relations with white settlers in the area. So marrying one of his nieces to a businessman like Brian Ward makes a decent amount of sense. Now, we don't know much about Bryant Ward, but we do know that he was a veteran of the French and Indian War and that after he retired, he decided to go in the merchant business, which had made him fairly wealthy. Now, while... And he was married to Bryant Ward. She went by the anglicized version of her name, which was Nancy. And while she was married to Bryant Ward, uh, she had one child with him, a daughter named Elizabeth, who would eventually marry an American general named James. Eventually, after a couple of years together, Bryant Ward decided to go back to his white wife and white children. Now, you probably think that probably would have, you know, like, caused some issues between them, him just being like, oh, bye, honey, I'm gonna go back home. (laughs) It was a nice couple years. But, like, apparently there was, like, no hard feelings for anyone involved. Like, in fact, Nanny after her and Bryant, like, got divorced, I don't know if they ever got, like, legally married or legally divorced or anything, but she would often go and visit him. Um, I think he lived in Georgia and would, like, stay with his, like, white wife and, you know, her, I guess, kind of her stepkids, and her daughter Elizabeth could, like, see her father and hang out with her half-siblings. It honestly shocks me that everything was cool, and, like, um, I mean, I suppose we could never know this, but that, like, Bryant Ward's, like, white wife wasn't, like, perplexed by this at all. Like, can you imagine just, like, this woman showing up being like, hi, yeah, you remember when your husband was gone for, like, a handful of years? Yeah, we were married. This is our daughter together. I'm coming to stay with you for a week. Like, shit. That'd be so weird. Anyway, flying past all the bigamy. (laughs) We're going to skip ahead a bit, um, from the, uh, 1760s to 1770s, because it's time for the American Revolution, which, uh, believe it or not, affected more than the white people in the colonies. (laughs) Now, when war initially broke out between, uh, the colonies and Britain, the Cherokee Nation was kind of torn on who they wanted to support, uh, because both, uh, The British and the American sides offered certain benefits to them and they really couldn't decide who they wanted to side with because personally they didn't really care who won as long as whoever won was going to be useful to them. Now, Nanny, his first cousin, the uh, son of her uncle, a uh, guy named Dragon Canoe, was firmly pro-British because uh, he believed that they were more likely to give Cherokee their lands back and slow down settlements into their lands. So, Dragon Canoe started... Uh, raids on American settlements to help the British cause. However, He, after having been married to an American colonist, had some real sympathy for them and wanted peace for sorry, wanted peace and for her cousin's raids to like fucking stop. So she had to be a little sneaky to go around her cousin. Now, in the summer of 1776, Dragon Canoe announced he would make a raid on the white settlements along the Watauga River and asked create to create the traditional black drink that would protect the Cherokee warriors during battle. Now, Nanny he prepared the drink, but also used her position as beloved woman to counteract his plans. Now, she released three white prisoners from their jails and told them about the raid and asked them to hurry to um, as many colonies as they could get to and basically warn everyone, that Dragon Canoe was coming to burn down the villages. Now, her actions gave white settlers time to evacuate most of the women and children to a fort and set up an ambush for Dragon Canoe. Now, Dragon Canoe was injured in the ambush. He didn't die, uh, but he did lose 13 of his warriors, and um, even though they technically failed, um, whoever was left at the end of that battle, he decided to send them back to destroy the settlement. Um, They kind of succeeded, they were actually able to capture a decent amount of white settlers. Um, in particular, one of the people they end up capturing was a woman named Lydia Bean who they brought back to the capital city of Chota. Now, the original pan- plan was to burn Lydia <laughs> Bean alive, which whew, not a good idea. That's kind of that's a little brutal dragon canoe. Are you okay? Anyway, they planned to burn her alive, but he was like, mm 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 dragon canoe i don't fucking think so and she stepped in and used her authority to save lydia bean now she eventually allowed lydia bean to return to her people where she uh, joined other prisoners freed by uh, nanny Hee. and lydia bean was one of the many people who spread the story of the gracious humble and kind beloved woman of the cherokee who wanted her people to coexist with the white settlers peacefully also, interesting side note about Lydia Bean. While she was staying with Nanny Hee in the Cherokee capital, uh, Lydia taught Nanny Hee the art of dairy products. Now, I never knew personally that the Cherokee didn't have like cattle and stuff. Like, it was something I never thought about, nothing, something that never came to my mind in the first place. But Lydia Bean taught Nanny Hee about dairy farming which was something that lydia bean and her husband william bean did together and then he was like "Shit, this is kind of (laughs) cool and she was like my god this is revolutionary i've gotta like show everyone this and it was through Lydia Bean that Nanny He introduced dairy farming to the Cherokee people, which ended up being, like, a really great source of income for a lot of Cherokee people. I mean, that's, like, a whole new area of trade that they never dipped their toe into. So, thanks, Mrs. Bean, for, uh, getting captured and then revealing the secrets of dairy products to, to Nanny He. Good for you. Anyway... Now, because Nanihi uh, provided a warning to uh, the white colonists, uh, Nanihi's village was spared from the counterattack launched by the Americans, but unfortunately, her cousin's raid started a full-scale war for the Cherokee with uh, American colonists. Now, in 1780, Nanihi provided American soldiers with an advanced warning of another Cherokee attack and tried to prevent uh, retribution uh, against the Cherokees by the whites. Now, according to some reports, Nanhi even arranged to have a herd of her own cattle send, sent to hungry militiamen. Now, nevertheless, the North Carolina militia would again invade Cherokee territory, uh, destroying villages and demanding further land successions as like a price to pay for the Cherokee attacking them. Now, in the ensuing battle, which uh, Nanny tried in vain to stop as the uh, North Carolina militia came to invade, she and her family were captured by the, by the Americans. Uh, she was eventually released and allowed to return home in Chota, but that I'm sure that was a rather traumatizing experience for uh, her three children. Now, basically, this entire war, Nanny he was like wrestling her cousin, as he called for war, and she was like, "Holy." can everyone calm down here like shit but hardly everyone anyone was listening to her especially dragon canoe wasn't listening to her because he wanted blood and fair enough (laughs) because the cherokee were like losing land and all that so i do get why dragon canoe was mad but he was going about it a little bit aggressively Now, in 1781, Nanny addressed the U.S. Treaty Commissioners who were working with the conservative Cherokee leaders to negotiate a treaty to end the fighting. She believed that peace would only come if the Native people and white settlers saw themselves as one people. And she thought that the only people that could make such a peace negotiation happen was the women on both sides. Now, this is one quote that she said during her speech that I really love and uh, i i think says a lot about nanny he's a person now here's what she said let your women's sons be ours our sons be yours let your woman hear our words now this was a pretty powerful speech but it kind of got lost on a lot of the americans because you know White settlers treated women like property. Cherokee less so. They were very feminist of them. We, we love that for the Cherokee. So no woman actually ended up participating in the way that Nanny he would have wanted. In fact, Nanny he herself commented how she was surprised no women were at the treaty meeting, and the Americans commented back that they were surprised that the Cherokee would leave such important matters to a woman, which is fucking rude of them. Now, in November 1785, Nanny, He accompanied the new Cherokee chief, Old Tassel, to another council with the Americans. At this meeting, the Cherokee learned about the resolution of the American Revolution and that the Americans had now formed their own nation, the United States of America. And the Cherokee laid out uh, their list of issues to the representatives of this new nation. Now, a new treaty was signed and He spoke uh to give the treaty her blessing and it was also during these negotiations that her daughter elizabeth married that american general in order to create you know marriage ties between the americans and the cherokee which you know is kind of like you know european monarchs marrying their daughters off to foreign powers to create alliances so how very european of them okay so over the years especially after the american revolution nanhee really tried to Uh, do her best to continue and get peace for everyone. But unfortunately, as the Revolutionary War ended, more Americans started to move west, uh, most especially on Cherokee land. And and he did try to stop them by asking uh, the council that Cherokee land not be sold to white people. But that was mostly ignored as um, the American government would purchase land without asking Cherokee and or would just straight up occupy the land without telling anyone. Now in 1819, she was forced to leave her own home after her land was sold without her knowledge, and she was uh, moved to Southern Tennessee, where she ended up opening an inn with her son five killer in order to make money uh, because she didn't have her fucking farm anymore. Uh, she was taking care of her son until, sorry, by her son, until uh, in 1828, she unfortunately died. Of uh, unknown illness and was buried on a hill not too far from the inn she ran with her son. Now, getting into legacy, let's just say she has a complicated legacy for the most part. Now, she tends to be remembered as this great fighter and peacemaker for the Cherokee who revolutionized the way the Cherokee uh, worked. Uh, negotiated and lived, which is very, very much true. We, you know, got to give her that. But on the other hand, because of her friendship with the American colonists during the war, uh, Lydia Bean specifically, many people see her as a traitor while seeing her cousin dragging Canoe As a hero because he tried to stop the Americans from encroaching on their land, which I don't think is fair, because there's no fucking way she could have known what the Americans were going to do. I really genuinely think that she thought that even if they did try to encroach on land, that she could stop them. Uh, Unfortunately, she couldn't, so I don't think it's fair to entirely blame her for the pushing of indigenous people onto other lands. Now, speaking of the pushing of indigenous people onto other lands, um, according to legend, she had a vision before she died where she said she saw a great line of our people marching on foot, mothers with babies in their arms, fathers with small children on their backs, grandmothers and grandfathers with large bundles on their backs. They were marching west, and the white soldiers were behind them. They left a trail of corpses, the weak and the sick, who could not survive the journey. Now, this vision, unfortunately, became very, very true. It became known as the Trail of Tears, which is when, a uh, fucking Andrew Jackson, um, relocated, I'm putting big quotes on that, uh, forcibly removed uh, thousands of Cherokee people uh, out west, places like Oklahoma, for the most part. Now, it's, it's very upsetting that Nanny He is partially blamed for the Trail of Tears, mostly because she wasn't alive for it. Uh, but also, had she been alive for it, she would have fought tooth and nail to um, stay where she wanted to be. So, you know, fuck people who have that opinion about Nanny He. We love you, Nanny He. You did the best that you could. Now, as for Nanny He's children... Um, as far as I know, every single one of them had kids, especially um, Nanny He's daughter Kati, who uh, is the ancestor of Becky Hobbs, who I talked to for this episode. Um, I believe Becky Hobbs is a fifth or sixth generation descendant of Nanny He. Of course, Becky's not the only descendant of uh, Nanny He. Um, as far- far as it's been estimated, she could have thousands of descendants still living in the United States now of, uh, fairly mixed indigenous and uh, white blood, um, if you guys have never heard of Becky Hobbs, you should really look her up. She's quite cool. She's a uh, country music star. And, you know, I'm not really into country music. My mom is, though, a lot. I mean, I like certain types of country music. Um, but what's really cool about her, especially, is that she's worked with Loretta Lynn, which, um, if you don't know who Loretta Lynn is, Google her. She's fairly cool, too. And uh, Becky Hobbs also makes a lot of very good music that i think you guys should you know go into spotify right now she's on there listen to a couple of her songs it's it's quite good country music <laughs> anyway guys thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode and i will see you guys in two weeks with the season finale of this of season four love you guys so much bye Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at rain 2 The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience, so I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. Alright, uh, bye!